Welcome to Hope Awakens. I'm glad you're with me. Tonight, we're going to approach a subject that affects absolutely everyone. I'm really looking forward to this. Now, please remember that we have a presentation tomorrow morning at 11. You're going to find that tonight, tomorrow morning, and then tomorrow night all go together. Three subjects that all relate very much to each other. Tonight, our subject is Beyond the Light. Tomorrow morning at 11 Eastern, a planet in lockdown. And then tomorrow night, the new normal, a world without fear. I sincerely hope you won't miss a single minute because you will be encouraged. If for some reason you can't make it tomorrow morning at 11, we'll repeat the presentation at 2 Eastern. Warm greetings tonight to Julie and her wonderful family in Beirut, Lebanon. To Rick in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. To Carice in Michigan. To our friends joining us in Indianapolis, Indiana and to Will in Tacoma, Washington. It's going to be a great night. Thanks for being part of Hope Awakens. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written. Welcome to Hope Awakens. At hopeawakens.org, you'll find resources, previous presentations, and more. And make sure you register at hopeawakens.org, because if you haven't already, tonight you want to do that so you can get our free offer, a book that is going to answer a lot of questions and something you want to share with somebody else, The Mystery of Death. When you register at the re- uh, when you register and then go to the resources page, you can download this right there. Also, if you'd like to support Hope Awakens, it's happening because of people like you who have said, we will help you to make this happen. You can do that at two places, hopeawakens.com slash give, or just go to hopeawakens.org. You'll find a tab there and that'd be so appreciated. At hopeawakens.org, you can submit your questions. To ask your questions, as always, Here's Doug Naar. Thanks for joining me, Doug. Hey, John, it's good to be here with our viewers at Hope Awakens. Again, like every night, we've got some good practical questions. All right. Here's the first one. What if someone like my great-grandmother did not know about the law of the Sabbath, yet she loved Jesus with all her heart? Will she be lost? You know, that's a good question. It says in the book of Acts, and the times of this ignorance God winked at. Look, salvation, as we've said again and again, is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where salvation comes from. And then you grow in your understanding of Jesus. That relationship develops over time. If you didn't know something and perhaps you hadn't ignored it or neglected it, the light just never came to you, God will understand that. That's not an excuse for us to want to stay in ignorance, but understand that some people just didn't know. God isn't going to hold that against people in the judgment. When I pray, I start by saying, Heavenly Father, but then I end up saying Lord and thinking of Jesus rather than the Father. Is this wrong and what should I do? You know what you should do is stop overthinking it and don't worry about it. It's all right. It's not wrong. You just pray and, and, and yes, God may guide you this way or that, but, but don't spend too much emotional energy worrying about that. You're praying. You're praying to God. You're praying to the Father. Amen. I have long, thick hair and I really like it. Several times it has been said that I should cut it, but I really don't want to. What I want to know is, how can I know if I'm holding my hair as an idol and breaking the commandments? Oh, that's a fair question. You know, uh, true confession time. I once had long, thick hair. I'd kind of love to have it again. It's been a while. 
If you've got long, thick hair, you thank God for it. And if you like it, then like it. If you're concerned that it's an idol, you talk to God and say, keep my, my, my like in check here. But no, you, that, that's a gift to you from God. It's good that it's a concern, but you don't want to overthink that either. God bless you and your beautiful, long, thick hair. <laughs> now, you said that God made the plants on the third day yes. and then the sun on the fourth well, day. Well, the Bible said that, not me, but okay. Okay, yeah. but wouldn't the plants die if there's no sun? Ah, no, but there was, you, well, here's what you're assuming. You're assuming that God would be reliant on light or sun to keep the plants growing. There may not have been a sun, but there was a son of God. There may not have been sun, but there was God in heaven. That's how they lasted a day, the power of God. Now you said that, the, that uh, God will come when the gospel reaches the whole entire world. Now, isn't that impossible? Absolutely not. It might be for you and me, but not for God. The Bible says, not me, in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. So it's going to happen, and God knows, and it's going to work out, and you don't need to worry about that. Now, John, we have a question from one of our viewers live, so let's go to the camera. Oh, fantastic. Great. Hey, thanks for joining me tonight. You've got a question. Yes, I do, Pastor Bradshaw. Uh, my question is um, you mentioned in your last message that a day from sunset to sunset is, is from sunset to sunset. Um, right. Where in the Bible can I find that? Oh, you can find that in the Bible in two places. You put two things together. Luke, uh, sorry, not Luke, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 32 says that the, uh, that the Sabbath is to be kept from even to even. And then in Mark 1 and verse 32, it says that even is when the sun sets, even being evening. So you put together Luke, I'm hung up on Luke. You put together Leviticus 23:32 and Mark 1:32, and it becomes very clear. Hey, thanks for your question. I hope that helps. God bless you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. Now, this is an interesting question. <clears throat> I have a woman in my life that I love and she loves me. The problem is she wouldn't dare introduce me to her parents because we come from different cultural backgrounds and her mother, she's not really for people of my race. Now, here's the question. Um, would, it, would we be breaking the law if we went ahead and got married without the approval of the parents? And is our relationship wrong from a Christian perspective? Oh, good questions. No, your relationship is not wrong from a Christian perspective. There is nothing in the Bible that forbids or outlaws uh, interracial marriages. Now, keep in mind, in some times or in some locations, it might be really challenging or difficult or maybe even unwise. Uh, and I don't need to give you examples of that. I'm simply saying that there are some parts of the world right now, if, if you were from one background and someone was from another, that could be real troublesome. But no, biblically speaking, no problem at all. Now, the question is this, how do you obey a mother who's racist? Well, the Bible says, obey your parents in the Lord. You could defer to your potential mother-in-law's racism, or you could uh, follow God's leading in your life. I'm always of the opinion that you shouldn't let a racist get you down. If you believe that God has led you together, not everyone will approve. And if a mother cannot approve because she has malice in her heart, that's a problem that she has to work out with God and you shouldn't prevent or allow that to prevent you from going forward if God is really leading the two of you. Can I ask for forgiveness for the dead? No. Well, you can, but it's, there's no point. So no, the answer is no. 
Um, with respect to Sabbath, um, shouldn't we keep Sunday holy in honor of the resurrection of Jesus? Well, we should. We absolutely should if the Bible says so, but the Bible doesn't. Here's, here's the truth. If you open the Bible at the beginning and read it through to the end, you won't find anything anywhere ever about honoring the resurrection by keeping one holy day or another. Uh, we are given baptism. That is a commemoration of the work of the resurrection in your life. And the Lord's Supper deals with the death and therefore the resurrection of Jesus. But there's, it, it's just a fact that nowhere in the Bible are we encouraged to honor one day or another day in honor of the resurrection. That's a tradition. Now, when it's the same question about the Sabbath, you know, some esteem one day over the other, whatever's right to them. Yeah, no, uh, that comes from Luke, not Luke. Tonight is my Luke night. Uh, 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 Romans chapter 14, and it's, I would say 99.999 repeating percent certain. We're talking about uh, ceremonial days or feast days there. One man esteems one day above another. So God said, remember the Sabbath day. And you said, no, I prefer another day. That's like God saying, be faithful to your wife. And you say, oh, I prefer the girl next door. You know, it, it doesn't work like that in moral matters. We want to put God first. Understand sometimes uh, new things are difficult to wrap your brain around, but you yield to the Lord and He will guide you in right paths. Now, sex before marriage is sin. That's correct. But the child is a blessing. Now, the question is, can sin produce blessing? Well, I mean, <laughs> are you really saying, does the end justify the means? If I was stealing fertilizer, but on my way home every night with my stolen supply of fertilizer, some sprinkled along the side of the road, and after a few weeks, there was beautiful grass growing there, you wouldn't say, oh, it was a good thing he stole the fertilizer. You wouldn't say that. If you were stealing money to buy food for your neighbors, that wouldn't be right either. Now, lots of children have come into this world um, under interesting circumstances who have gone on to do great things. And thank God for that. Uh, the end doesn't justify the means, but of course people can make mistakes. They do all the time and good can come from that. Can Satan read our mind and how can he tempt us if he cannot read our thoughts? Oh, you don't even worry about that. He can't read your mind, but he knows you so well because he's been studying you all your life that he might as well be able to read your mind but it doesn't matter. And you know why? Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So don't let that worry you for a moment. Now, why did the religious leaders accuse Jesus for breaking the Sabbath when he healed on the Sabbath? Why did Jesus do that? And what was he trying to convey to the religious leaders? Oh, a very good point. The religious leaders were so corrupt and so bereft of good Christian sense or good godly sense that they felt like to heal somebody on the Sabbath was breaking the Sabbath. Jesus spat on the ground once and then he mixed the saliva and the dirt together. That was sinful because he was working because he was making mud. Oh, Jesus doesn't want us to look at the commandments like that. The Sabbath was made for us. It's a gift to be a blessing, not a cursing. So Jesus was showing the religious leaders and us that the Sabbath is to be a blessing and that these things shouldn't be prohibited on that day. Hello, Pastor John. What do you do when every day you keep asking God to change your heart and make you more like Him, but you still sense this emptiness, this lack of love, this still prejudice, pride and envy, all the things that are opposite to God and you don't want that. It's discouraging and I'm ready to give up. What do you do? You don't give up. 
What do you do? You go to God and you tell Him all about it. What do you do? Maybe you talk to someone and say, am I missing something? Are there some steps that I can take to get over this in my life? And then the next thing you do is stop looking at your sinful heart and look more and more at Jesus. By beholding, we become changed. If you behold your sinfulness, you'll become even more sinful. I'm not saying ignore it and pretend it's not there, but you need to look to Jesus because your hope is in Him, your salvation is in Him, your righteousness is in Him. Look away from yourself. Delight in Jesus. You are going to make mistakes. That's part of growth. But look to Jesus. He is your hope and He will grow you through this. John, what do you think heaven will look like? I don't know, but I will find out one day and I think it's going to be soon. Now, is, if God is the Father and Jesus is the Son, will there be two individuals in heaven? As a matter of fact, there'll be three because you have the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And um, why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Wouldn't that be murder? Well, it would be, except God had asked him to do it. It was a test. It didn't go through, so it wasn't murder. Now, Abraham knew how repulsive this thing was, but he did it because he knew this was God asking him. This was a test. Abraham passed the test. I have a childhood friend since the third grade that's into astrology and psychic and tarot cards. Now, should I forego that relationship just to pray for her? No, no, you shouldn't forgo the relationship. You should be a friend to that person. Now, you want to be careful that you're not getting yourself immersed in her stuff. But if we cut ourselves off from everybody who was into bad stuff, there'd be no witnessing going on and no one would be letting their light shine. So as carefully and as appropriately as you can, keep that person in your life. Again, be careful of the real negative influence, but have a relationship with that person and pray and God may well use you to lead that person to higher ground. Now, do you really believe the commandment thou shalt not kill really means simply thou shalt not murder and nothing more? That seems quite contrary to what Jesus said in the New Testament, where he said that hating a brother is breaking the commandment. I was quite disappointed in the answer you gave regarding the commandment and the Israelites going to war in the Old Testament seemed quite weak. You know, I want to encourage you just to speak straight with me here. Tell me how you really feel, because I'm not quite sure how you felt about about that answer. Okay, look, you're right. Of course, the commandment thou shalt not kill deals with hating a brother. Jesus spoke about that. But you know that if somebody asks me about a commandment and I run all over the Bible to grab all this, I'm wearing the biggest answer I could, we might be here all night. Uh, the same can be said about the seventh commandment. Uh, don't commit adultery. We know Jesus said, if you look upon someone to lust, that's adultery as well. So you are quite right. And I'm very grateful you brought that to our attention. I know you have uh, received many questions and cannot possibly answer all of them in your program, but will you be able to answer them by email, John? Sure, we'll give it a shot. We probably won't be able to answer them all by email either, but you get them to us and we'll do our very best. Here's the last one. If you claim to be a believer, how do you discern between being sanctified and when you mess up, you come to Him and keep growing? And how do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Here's how you know, because you prayed, you yielded your life to God and the Spirit was given to you as a gift and you believe. And if you mess up, as I said a moment ago, that's just part of growing. When a baby is born, the baby cannot tie his or her shoelaces, cannot feed himself or herself. There's a lot the baby can't do, but the baby is loved by his or her parents and grows. Same is true as a believer. Come to Jesus as you are. You might want to have a little holy impatience. Come on, Lord, change my heart. Some things take a while to work out because of our culture, our practices, our habits, our background, our this, our that. Our, our, our. 
when you mess up, look to Christ Jesus. Your hope is in Him. I, I hope it hurts your heart a little bit. It should. That's sin, and we shouldn't feel good about this. But understand that God is on your side. Jesus died for you. Grab hold of Jesus. Don't let go. Receive the gift of salvation. Thank God for it and grow in God's grace. You've really messed up when you've decided, I'm going to walk away from God. Just don't do that. Hang in there with Jesus. He's never going to walk away from you. Thank you for your questions. You know how to get them to us by now. Hopeawakens.org and you'll find a tab there that says questions and we'd love to get questions from you. I have a very special guest tonight. Her name is Dr. Elizabeth Talbot. She is the speaker and director of Jesus 101, a media ministry based in Southern California. Her television programs can be seen on It Is Written TV. Dr. Talbot, welcome to Hope Awakens. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. Ah, oh, thanks. You're making, you're making it a great presentation tonight because I've got a, a serious question. I believe you can answer this question. Whenever you start talking about God, you realize that people have different views on what God is like. For some, He doesn't care. For others, He's far away. Some believe God is a tyrant. So help us tonight. Tell me, you, you teach about this, you write about this, you encourage people. Tell me, what's God really like? Well, the easiest thing I can tell you is God is love. And with love come all the attributes of real love, right? He's gracious and patient. And I want to give you two more faithful and self-sacrificing. Um, you know, the Bible has so many metaphors of this love because we cannot fully comprehend it. So the Bible gives us metaphors like uh, a shepherd who gives his life for the sheep, defending the sheep, or a bridegroom who gives his life for a bride to save her life. Uh, but the one that I like most and I think is the deepest is a parent, a father who ge gives his own life as a ransom for his kidnapped children. So if you think of what you would do if your kids were kidnapped and you had to give your life for them uh, as a ransom, then you get the qualities of God, you know, patient, perseverant, uh, persevering and uh, self-sacrificing, faithful, uh, all those things. Think of it as a parent, because that's the Bible story, right? That, that God's children were uh, taken by a kidnapper in Genesis 3 and God gave his life as a ransom to take us back. Now, I want to I ask you to see if you can make this a little more practical. I want to speak to you very personally and say, how has, has your concept of God, your understanding of God, helped you at times throughout your life? How has this been a practical help to you? Well, I like to say it's a multi-directional help uh, for my past and, and all the things I've messed up in my life. I'm so thankful I have a Redeemer that loved me above himself and did for me what I couldn't do for myself. In the present, during difficult times, um, I have the guarantee of his assurance, uh, his, his presence with me, his protection. When I lost my parents, uh, knowing the assurance that God gives me, it was so different. So, so for my present, uh, not only for my present sins, uh, when I realized that I am not doing everything right, I have this protection from God because he loves me so much, but also it gives me the assurance when I lose a loved one, when I am going through diseases or things that I cannot, you know, bear on my own. I know God is in control. He's protecting me. He's my loving father. And how about the future? 
you know, living without fear of death or, or fear of the end of times or fear of the judgment because the love of, of God has covered me at the cross. Uh, there's nothing like it. So. Amen. I, I want to see, well, you, you've spoken about some of the attributes of God, the beautiful attributes of God. Fr- from a biblical perspective, is there somewhere you can take us in the Bible that says, hey, this shines a light on what I'm saying? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you know that I like to study these things uh, in the original languages. And there is a word I brought it just in case you asked me, is the world uh, goel, G-O-E-L, goel. And this is the word in Hebrew that means kinsman redeemer, the closest of kin, the one that could do for you what nobody else could do. And there were certain roles that the kinsman redeemer had. One of them was if the relative was enslaved because of debt, only the kinsman redeemer, the goel, could um, actually pay the price that set them free. Uh, They could also get the property back if the family lost the property because of debt right? Well, this is where it gets really good. When God created us in his image, he obligated himself to rescuing us because he's our closest of kin. He's our closest relative because we're in his image. So the name that is used for the Messiah who would uh, come to pay the ransom is Goel in the Bible, usually translated redeemer, but it's actually closest of kin, the kinsman redeemer. Imagine what you would do for your child, then you get a good picture of God. That's a beautiful picture of God. I got one more question for you, and that's this. As you travel and write and teach and preach and, 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 and interact with people and you do this an awful lot, what do you think the big, the one or two, three, the, the, the challenges people have with, with really understanding the heart of God? And what would you say to those challenges? Yeah, uh, probably the hardest thing when people are facing difficulties, uh, um, you know, death or diseases, sickness, or a pandemic <laughs> is does God care? Does God care? If he's if he cares, why doesn't he do something about it? Or or for example, would he at some point intervene uh, once and for all and finish this whole sinful world? And you know, sometimes when we don't see God's hand the way we were expecting it, obviously we don't have the viewpoint of God. We don't see things from a heavenly viewpoint. Um, we have to trust his heart. So I tell people, we don't, you don't see God's hand, trust his heart, which he showed at the cross. He cared so much, as a matter of fact, that he refused to go throughout eternity without us. So he died on the cross and he already has promised that he will intervene once and for all, eradicating sin in a world that there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sickness. So, uh, Thank God that we know how this story ends and Jesus wins. Until then, trust his heart when you don't see his hand because we won't always understand the purposes of God, but at the cross, we see his heart. Powerful. Dr. Elizabeth Talbot, thank you. I so appreciate you for joining us on Hope Awakens. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Blessings. Dr. Elizabeth Talbot from Jesus 101, and you can see her on It Is Written TV. Let me pray for you before we dive into tonight's subject. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful that we can approach your throne of grace. Oh, we thank you that Jesus wins. Now, tonight, speak to us and guide us in your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard the stories. A person is hovering somewhere between life and death. As doctors and nurses struggle to save the person's life, he or she sees a tunnel. It's misty. And at the end of that tunnel, there's a light. And they're being drawn to the light. 
The good news is they survive and recover, but they have a story to tell about the tunnel and the haze and the light. A young Polish woman recently said that after being diagnosed with meningitis, she passed into a tunnel filled with light. She said, I've never seen a light like that. It was a very bright streak. Then she said, the tunnel extended upwards. On my way, I met my father who had been dead for four years. He was very happy, radiant. And here's where it gets interesting. He held buns on a tray and said, go back. Don't go this way. You must live. Remember, eat. I turned away from him and saw my deceased brother submerged up to his shoulders in a bog. He was very sad. Right. I thought, I must do something to help him. I'll come back for him. Returning to my body, I saw myself. I was laying in bed. There were some doctors, some machine. Then the article in Britain's Daily Express stated this. Most scientists do not consider NDEs, near-death experiences, to be true experiences of the afterlife. But we're fascinated by this idea of an afterlife. Maybe that's because there's something in us that says that if all we have is this life, then in the grand scheme of things, that's not really much. There has to be something beyond this world, doesn't there? But what is it? I spoke with a physician recently who told me that people facing death tend to have fear. Interestingly, he said those who don't have faith have the most fear. And a lot of people have been very fearful with regard to the coronavirus pandemic. Some have been driven to end their life. Some have been very fearful about testing positive for COVID-19. You can understand why. More than 60,000 Americans have died from this disease so far, according to official numbers. Almost 20,000 of them in one state, New York. Death is still foreign to us, even though we are immersed in it. That is, our grandparents die. Then parents, friends, you can't escape it. One Irish Hospice Foundation says that we don't like death because of, one, fear of the unknown. Two, we don't like to think of ourselves as dying. And three, we don't want to tempt fate as though talking about death is somehow going to hasten the event. That's why some people don't make a will. You know, you really should. Because to do so, they think, well, talking about death, maybe that's bad luck in some way. Well, what's beyond the light at the end of that hazy tunnel? Let's find out tonight what God says about it. We'll start by looking at how death first came to be way back there in the beginning. Whether you fear death or not, I think you'd have to admit that if all we had was this life, there's not a whole lot of justice about it. I guess if you lived to 90, that's pretty good, except we were created to live forever. So it's not such a good deal. Every day in the United States alone, almost 8,000 people die. With that in mind, look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19. He wrote, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. He was writing with reference to whether or not there's life after death, or the way he phrased it, whether or not there's a resurrection. You find all kinds of beliefs when it comes to what happens when a person dies, and that's likely because so few people have ever died and lived to talk about it. Reincarnation is a major tenet of Indian religions, especially such as Hinduism and Buddhism. The idea is that after death, you continue to live, but in another form. And that cycle may go on many, many times. 
the Great Pyramids of Egypt, which for some time were the tallest structures on the planet, were in fact tombs. The Egyptians believed in an afterlife and they believed you could take it with you when you left. So gold and silver and bronze artifacts were placed in the tombs with the deceased. The secret chambers were adorned with artwork and fine linen. Those fabulous structures are now thousands of years old and they're magnificent enough that tourists from all around the world still travel to see them. I think a fair question to ask is, who got it right? Or just what should we believe? Now, Christians typically believe that after life is heaven or hell. Some people, though, believe in purgatory, an intermediate place where people are purged of their sins by fire before being released into everlasting life. Now, how can we approach this without fear, without worry that God is an ogre or in some way unloving or unkind? It seems the only reliable place we could look would be the Bible. So let's go there. Let's go to the Bible and find out what the Bible says. We'll look at a famous story, famous Bible story found in John chapter 11. Jesus and his disciples receive word that someone is sick. That person's name, Lazarus. He happens to be the brother of Mary and Martha. And he's from a town called Bethany, which was very near Jerusalem. Jesus got this news and then did a curious thing. John 11, verse six. When he heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, he, Jesus, stayed two more days in the place where he was. Jesus didn't go to visit his friend right away. He didn't go to heal his friend. But he said to his followers, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. You know, when you get news that someone who's been ill is sleeping, it's ordinarily a good sign. They're recovering, getting rest. Now the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So now they walk to Bethany, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. You know, death is difficult. The Bible calls death an enemy. There was never meant to be any death in this world, but like a terrorist, death infiltrated this world and hijacked life itself. Grief is an especially hard thing to deal with. It can be debilitating. Death is hard on the people it leaves behind as you've now got to figure out how to move forward with what's a gaping hole in your life, in your family. And as keenly as we grieve today, Lazarus left behind a family who were grieving intensely. He was evidently a younger man. His death seems to have come as a surprise. When Jesus arrived, Martha, Lazarus's sister said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had faith in Jesus' ability to heal. If you'd only been here, you'd have taken care of him and he would still be with us. And Jesus responded by giving her hope in her moment of grief. Your brother will rise again. You know, I don't know what gets you through at a time of grief or loss, but knowing that the dead will rise again has been a huge help to me. 
you farewell your parents and that's tough, but you have the hope that you'll see them again one day. But as sad as it is to lose your parents, that's not unexpected. In fact, it's kind of expected. But losing a spouse, losing a child, a shock accident, an unanticipated illness, farewelling a child, it has to be brutal. I just read about a school trip that went wrong. Now, it took place many years ago in another country. A teacher and 27 boys traveled to the mountains of southern Germany. The teacher was hopelessly unprepared. The children weren't dressed for cold weather. They got caught in a relentless snowstorm. Five of the boys died. It's a miracle any of them made it out of there alive. The father of one of those boys who passed away was consumed by grief and anger over the carelessness that led to a son's death. You know, he died prematurely in a psychiatric institution. The grief consumed him ultimately killed him. Let's remember this because grief is hard. God is described in the Bible as the God of all comfort. That's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I hope you've learned or that you're willing to learn that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's Psalm 46. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Faith in God doesn't take away grief, but the comforting presence of God will get you through even when things seem hopeless and the weight seems like it's just too great. Jesus comforted Martha. There's hope, Martha. Your brother will rise again. And she answered by saying, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now notice what Jesus says to her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. John eleven twenty five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus had said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth and the life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I am so many things. And now he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Where does life come from? From Jesus. Where is hope for the resurrection? Same place. That hope is in Jesus. And now to demonstrate this, Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus, asks that they roll away the stone. Martha says, not a good idea. But Jesus said, this is for the glory of God. The stone is rolled away. The people must have been wondering what was going on. Jesus surprised everyone when He called out to Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Lazarus was alive. He'd been dead, but now he was alive, raised by Jesus, the resurrection and the life. This is one of the few examples of people we know of that have died and come back. Now, Jesus raised the son of a widow in the town of Nain, just south of Nazareth, where Jesus was raised. He raised the daughter of a man named Jairus. You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This is the hope that we have of a resurrection in the last day. Imagine if death was the end, the ultimate, nothing beyond. That'd be hopeless. 
Remember where death came from. In the Garden of Eden, Eve wandered too close to the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. Satan tempted her to eat the fruit. He said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She responded by saying, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And now notice what the devil said to her. He said, you will not surely die, but death came as the result of sin. We weren't created to die. We were created to live forever. Back in the beginning, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul, Genesis 2, 7. Did you notice that it's key? At creation, God made human beings and the human being was made a living soul. Other Bible versions might say a living being. Now, this is where the confusion creeps in. And where did that confusion come from? You know, Plato was a Greek philosopher who lived about three or 400 years before Jesus. Plato believed that the soul was something that was able to think and that survived bodily death. He taught that the soul went on living after a person died. Socrates was another Greek philosopher who lived a little before Plato. Plato and Socrates were called dualists. They believed that reality or existence is divided into two parts, the body and the soul. Socrates believed the body was mortal, but the soul was immortal, that it goes on living after death. Then along came a man named Augustine, known by some as St. Augustine today. And Augustine just echoed the beliefs of these Greek philosophers. He taught that a human being is made up of a body and this immortal soul that goes on living after death. It's almost impossible to overstate Augustine's influence on Christianity. He's considered one of the most important figures of the early church. That's the post-apostolic church. He was instrumental in affecting Christian thought and Augustine was influenced by Socrates and Plato. His views on humanity were framed by Greek philosophers. Later generations of Christians were influenced by Augustine who was influenced by Greek dualists men who believed that a person was a combination of a body and an immortal soul, their thinking wasn't framed by Scripture. So when we think about what people believe today, we've got to ask ourselves where those beliefs come from. God said, the dust of the ground and the breath of life, that is a living soul. That's what we are, a living soul. The Greek dualists said otherwise. Based on what we see in the Bible now, a soul is not something living or conscious. It's not what you are, sorry, it's not what you have, it's what you are. It's like saying Auntie Charmaine is a dear old soul. You mean a dear person, not that she's a disembodied spirit. Adam was a soul. This is why the Bible says 3,000 souls were added to the church in Acts chapter two. That's 3,000 people. A soul is a person. Biblically, soul can refer to the spiritual nature of a person but it never means a spirit that leaves the body at death. Look at Psalm 146 and verse four with me. It says, his breath goes forth. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. The Bible says when a person dies, that person's breath goes back to God. Now, what is that breath? It's not something living or conscious. It doesn't think. We've read that at creation, human beings were not given a soul. They were made living souls. Don't be surprised. Well, if we don't have a soul, maybe we have a spirit. 
In Ecclesiastes, it says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. But look how Job interprets that. All the while my breath is in me and the what? Spirit of God is in my nostrils. Job makes it clear. The spirit that goes back to God when a person dies is breath. The breath of life God put in Adam when he created him. Breath, the life spark, the power God gives us to keep us up and running. Not a soul where people go on living after they die. Breath goes back to God. Now, when I was a child, I was told that people had immortal souls. But then I looked through the Bible. You know what I found? I found the Bible says very clearly the only one who is immortal is God. It says that very thing. 1 Timothy 6, the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only has immortality. That's as clear as a bell. 1 Timothy 1, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Only God is immortal. It's just not possible for people to have an immortal soul. Search the Bible from front to back. You'll never hear mention of an immortal soul. In fact, Romans 2 verse 7 says that we seek for immortality. You wouldn't seek for something you already have. Ezekiel 18 verse 4 says, the soul who sins shall die. The Bible makes clear humans are mortal. But let me show you something that's just so clear. Acts chapter 2, Peter speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit says, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. We know where David is. He's right there in that tomb. Now, five verses later, David did not ascend into the heavens. How clear is that? David is there in the tomb and he didn't go to heaven. Now, when you get to heaven, you expect to see King David there. But Peter said that David is not there right now. Psalm 115 verse 17 the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Psalm 17, this is David. He says, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. When will David be satisfied? When he wakes. From what? From the sleep of death. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. The Bible says, Daniel 12 verse 2. Remember Lazarus? Jesus didn't call him down from heaven or up from hell. He called him from the grave because that's where Lazarus was. What happened with the Lazarus is going to be replayed many times over when Jesus returns. The dead in Christ shall rise. People you've known and loved, they'll rise. Friends you've lost, they'll rise. Children, parents, they'll rise because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Heart disease takes the life of your loved one. Diabetes, cancer, a stroke, we're getting those folks back one day. Today they sleep, but soon they rise because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Look in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, 
Where is your victory? The Word of God says, The living know that they shall die, but the dead know nothing. Ecclesiastes 9.5. Isn't that clear? We live, we die, we sleep. And then in the resurrection, the saved are woken from that rest to receive everlasting life. Immortality comes then, not when you die. But the devil's a deceiver. Jesus called him a liar and the father of it. One of his greatest deceptions is spiritualism. You got people going to seances to speak with the dead. No, that's not the dead they're communicating with. It's what King Saul did before he died. He went to see a witch. That's all this is today. Demonic activity. What about near-death experiences? Now, they really happen. Many people talk about the tunnel, the bright lights, the fog. They say their soul floated up out of their body. They could see themselves and they watched what was going on. But this isn't evidence that people live after they die. Think with me. When do people have these near-death experiences? Seems like they're having them under stress. No one ever said, I was sitting on a beach, drinking out of a, a cup with an umbrella in it. They're on an operating table, hanging between life and death. They're not relaxing somewhere when they have these near-death experiences. Happened to some people who use drugs. It's brought on by the, by the brain doing strange things under stress. Washington Post reported that a new study suggests these out-of-body and near-death experiences may be influenced by a portion of the brain misfiring under stress. That was also in the Journal Times, as you see. The researchers said that a processing center in the brain known as the angular gyrus is thought to play a very important role in the way your brain analyzes sensory information to give you a perception of your own body. They say when it misfires, the result can be visions of floating outside ourselves. No, people don't leave their bodies and come back. The dead don't go home after they die. They don't haunt houses. They sleep until the resurrection. It's important to know this when we consider what's going to happen in earth's last days. Revelation 16, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. We are told we're going to see miracles of a spiritualistic nature, and we see them today. You've heard of apparitions that occur. People claim to see the Virgin Mary in any one of many places around the world. Not every supernatural event is from God. You see, there's a great conspiracy afoot where someone is looking to deceive everyone. Few things have more power than perhaps a vision of a departed loved one returning to you, bringing you a message from God. There's a spirit world, all right. Not all spirits are from God. We know the dead aren't alive. They sleep, waiting for the resurrection. You might have heard it said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Sure. But let's look at that in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, Paul said, We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You look at that. He didn't say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You hear it at funerals. But Paul didn't say, when I die, the next thing is I'll be with Jesus. Paul was not saying straight to heaven. In fact, he's the one who said very differently in many places. 
This is 2 Corinthians we looked at. In 1 Corinthians just a moment ago, he talked about sleeping until the resurrection. Here, Paul is looking forward to the time that he will be absent from this earthly body and present with the Lord. We could say the same thing. Many of us are looking forward to that time. No aches and pains when we get out of this old body. No injuries, no medication needed, no stress, no sickness. We're looking forward to that. Oh, yes, indeed. Revelation 21 and verse 4 says that God will wipe away all tears from their eyes and there will be no more death. Look at this. This is Paul again. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will do what? Rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus promised the resurrection is a wonderful hope. Notice, comfort doesn't take away our pain, but God offers us comfort. In fact, what we know is that one day there's going to be a resurrection. You keep your eyes open as you read the Bible and you will see again and again and again it says that death is asleep. No one in heaven is watching down on their loved ones suffering down here. That wouldn't be heaven. The dead are sleeping and soon they'll be awake. So where are those who've died? Maybe this is what makes the subject challenging for some people. You've been told grandma's in heaven. That's a comforting thought. Unless, of course, you imagine grandma's watching down on you, then it becomes a creepy thought. But if you've thought of grandma enjoying heaven and walking on streets of gold, this might just challenge your thinking a little bit. But wait. But if the dead died and went to heaven, why would there even be a resurrection? And if people die and go to heaven, we don't need Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. The truth is, Jesus will one day come back and raise the sleeping saints who would go on sleeping forever if it wasn't for Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Where are the dead? Where is Abraham Lincoln? Where is Frederick Douglass? Where's Mother Teresa? Where's Gandhi? Where's Mary, the mother of Jesus? Where's Elvis? Where's John Lennon? Where's Kobe Bryant? They're all in exactly the same place. That is, they are sleeping. And those who died in faith in Jesus will be raised from the grave when Jesus returns. All right now, what about the thief on the cross? Somebody's going to ask me about that. You read in Luke 23, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, now think about this. In John 17, Mary sees Jesus. Jesus said, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. That was resurrection morning. On execution Friday, Jesus promised the thief that he'd be with him in paradise. But on resurrection Sunday, Jesus hadn't gone to paradise. Now, the Scriptures are not going to contradict themselves. So let's look at what the thief actually said. He said, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. 
He didn't ask to go to heaven that day. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We still pray for that, don't we? Sure we do in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. So what's the solution? Okay, listen carefully. In the English Bible, it comes down to the placing of a comma. Punctuation wasn't added to the Scriptures until the 1400s. The Bible wasn't written with punctuation like we have today. It was added by the translators. Mostly, they got it right. Sometimes, they didn't. Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross. He says, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. How can that be when the Bible makes it very clear that death is asleep? You move that comma by one word, and what does it say? Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And you ought to know that dozens of Bible translations put the comma in exactly the right place. Jesus used that word today to emphasize a blessed truth. He assured the thief that even as he hung on the cross, he could know that when Jesus comes in his kingdom, he would then be with Jesus in paradise. Not right at that moment, not, not today as it were, but as at, this, at the second coming of Jesus when the resurrection takes place. He gives you that same assurance. If you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, Jesus says to you, I tell you today, I tell you now, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus is soon to come back to this world. He's coming back in power and great glory. Those who died will be raised, those who died in faith. Families will be reunited. There'll be no more death. We'll be with Jesus forever. What a day that's going to be when Jesus comes back. For now, the dead sleep, a dreamless sleep. And when Jesus wakes them from their slumber, it will be like no time has passed at all. Experientially, it's like dying and going to heaven. But knowing the truth, you know, I met a lady one day, an elderly lady, and she was so discouraged. She said, I'm so disturbed. Why? Because my husband, I know he's out there, and he won't communicate with me. Isn't that interesting? He won't communicate with me. And she was tormented because of an unbiblical belief of what happens when a person dies. When you know that the dead rest, now you can say, he rests peacefully. She rests peacefully. And Jesus will come back to wake that person up. And we get to go to heaven together. No one there waiting for you. You get to make the journey of a lifetime together. So how is it with you? Is Jesus the resurrection and the life for you? And do you have assurance now that you will be with Jesus in paradise? Sadly, too many people live and hope that they're going to be ready. Maybe they'll spend eternity with Jesus. After tonight, my hope, my prayer is that you won't hope, but that you will believe. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He is truly your Savior.
then you grow with Jesus. Jesus lives His life in you. Oh, but Pastor John, I am such a sinner. We are all sinners. Jesus died for sinners. When the devil reminds you how bad you are, you just remind him how good Jesus is and you are hanging on to Jesus' goodness. Oh, but John, I struggle. I I keep stumbling. Well, you keep on stumbling then, but stumble in faith. Hang on to Jesus and tell Jesus He's got to change your heart. He's got to turn things around and you're trusting in Him. Don't look at your sinfulness. You know what you're made of. You know what you're capable of. Look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He came into this world that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Tragically, because of sin, life all too often slips away. But one day, the sky will split wide open. The heavens will depart as a scroll. Jesus will come riding down the great corridors of space. He'll call to the sleeping ones as He called to Lazarus. Graves on hillsides all across the fruited plain and around the world will open up. And those sleeping saints will come forth never to die again. And why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray in faith in the name of Jesus right now. Join with me, our Father in heaven. Tonight we choose Jesus as Lord and Savior. Friend, can you choose Jesus? Tonight we trust in the merits of His shed blood and we accept His righteousness. We claim that righteousness as our own. And we just believe that what you say in your word will happen in our lives. We believe for forgiveness. We believe for holiness. We believe in Jesus saving us from our sins. We thank you now and we look forward to that one day soon when Jesus comes back and we are with him forever in paradise. And we pray in Jesus' name, come and say with me, Amen and amen. Be sure you head over to hopeawakens.org and go to the resources tab and get tonight's free gift book, The Mystery of Death. I want you to have it. And it's right there at hopeawakens.org that you can view previous presentations and you can watch questions and tell someone about Hope Awakens that they too can share the blessing. See you next time, tomorrow morning at 11 Eastern. God bless you. Join me then on Hope Awakens.